Excellent. So I was taught a nursery rhyme as a child. And um, being a, my mum and dad were good Christian folk. And uh, I want you to take your hands because I'm going to involve you in this. Show your fingers, link your fingers like this. And then close your hand up. You know where we're going here. And the little nursery rhyme says, here's the church, here's the steeple. Open the doors and there's the people. You all know it, don't you? It's just completely theologically inaccurate. <laughs> You've been brainwashed your whole life with this theory of this is what church is, isn't it? Because you go out to church and you join the church community and you kind of told in churches like this, going, it's not the building, it's the people, isn't it? You know, but silly things or good things or clever things like that, they somehow take us into a place that's slightly unusual. So I want us to explore then. What is the church? How do we, if we're going to build the house of God, we need to understand some of the narratives, some of the words that's used in the Bible. If we get the understanding right and if we live according to that understanding, then we're not going to go too inherent. So this is a, an attempt to get you to think expansively about the house of God and what that means from a Bible context as well. So to help us confusion, I thought I'd do a little bit of history, by the way. So 300 years into this birthday early church, to meet publicly in the open space. So what's the first thing that man does that? We start building buildings. That's the way to do it, isn't it? You know, to be existence, we need to have a building to show that we're there. And you'll see it's a common theme as we go through the Bible. So meeting huts were built, and the early, early word uses a basilica, which is where we used to meet in church. The early Christians would meet in basilica. It means royal palace. You ever been to um, Catholic countries and you'll go to a church, you'll see the concept of a basilica because you'll see a building laid with gold. Me and Rachel went to Malta for our honeymoon and uh, you know, I was really struck by one particular church because it was ornate and uh, it set a, a plaque um, on the wall next to this molded silver picture of the Last Supper and said this molded silver plaque was given by the local residents during the great bombing of the, the island. And I looked at that and felt quite offended by it. By that was the church's response to the desolation of its island, was to ask people to give silver to make a picture. You understand, there's something about this where we get these royal palaces. We need to create something that's fit for God, and so we get these big things. And then German word that used around the time was called Kirscher. Uh, by the way. Now, interestingly, this is relevant to us because what does that sound like now? So, Kirchhoff in German is building. Church now has got into our narrative and our language of building. And then we had the Reformation. So, great characters like Tyndale, Luther, Calvin all popped up. And they were all trying to make the church accessible to the common man because by this time, we've got ornate gold line buildings where people go to the building to worship God. And, and so in the, the biblical 
narrative or the translation uh, in Latin was shifted by Tyndale. So rather than using the word priest to describe my role, started to use the word elder. And so there's a shift in wording because it got really traditional. It got really structured. It got really building orientated. And you couldn't meet with God unless you went down to a footprint placed in a certain specific position. And so you get a transformation. And he even started to change the word uh, for the Greek word of church in the New Testament is ecclesia, which means assembly. It means calling out and gathering together. Uh, and he starts to use the word in our modern translation of church as a community. Hence, now we understand that when we meet together, it's not much about the building or the bricks and mortar. There are better buildings that you can meet in, in Exeter, by the way, if you're focused by that, that's far more ornate, far more roomier, uh, and look far more beautiful, except we some, see something different. We see something stronger. We see a cohesive community of the people of God, and that's why we meet. You can lock the doors of a church, but you cannot lock the doors of a movement. You ever wondered what would happen if it suddenly became illegal in Britain to hold a church service? Do you think that would be church finished in the day? No, no, no. We'd be really manipulative and secretive, wouldn't we? We'd go around and go, you can't lock this down. In fact, something would happen in our spirit that we would start meeting under a tree or in a shed or in a place that's not in the public eye because we would look to grow what is within us because you just can't contain what God has deposited inside of us. So I thought I'd do a journey over the next two weeks as to the house of God in the Bible and then the two weeks after that to work out what we do in the house of God and let's see if our narrative changes during the journey of that. So today, I, I want to talk about the foundation found in the Old Testament. So if you have your Bibles, turn uh, to Genesis chapter 28, because I want to pick up the first time it mentions the house of God as a phrase, because it's used a lot. 1,881 times it mentions the word house in the Bible. I want us to try and understand its journey of its translation. It's a story of Jacob. We went to Sunday school you were told this. And I'll read from verse 10. So Jacob left Beersheba, travels towards Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp, and he stopped there for the night. And Jacob found a stone to rest his head and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven, and he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. And at the top of the stairway stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather, Abraham, the God of your father, Isaac. The ground that you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you. And your descendants... Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the east, to the west, to the north, to the south. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I'm with you. And I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything that I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely... The Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and he said, what an awesome place it is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. The next morning, Jacob got up early. 
He took a stone that he'd rested his head against and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured oil over it. He named that place Bethel, which means house of God. It was previously called Luz. Jacob made this vow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshipping God, and I will present to God a tenth of everything that he gives me. For those interested in the concept and the theology of given, this is pre-law. You know, and there's a response when the revelation of God is, I will give to God before there's any legislation set in place. And actually, I'm responding to that. But this is the place. And I just want to point out, there's something about humanity that whenever we have an encounter with God, we become infatuated with the place in which that encounter happens. And this is what Jacob did. Wow, I've had an incredible revelation. I'm going to take a rock. I'm going to put it there. I'm going to anoint oil with this. This place will be forever sacred. Who's ever been to David's tent? Put your hand up if you've been to David's tent. It's a worship conference in the middle of a field, basically, isn't it? You know, they will pray. They will worship. Put your hand up if you've had an incredible experience of God in, that, in David's tent. Okay, hopefully. I didn't know whether there's any numbers that didn't lift their hands up who went, who did that, you know. It's just a field, isn't it? So if you went there now, in the middle of November, after the rain that we've just had over the weekend, and sat there, you would struggle. It's the same place. It's the same anointed ground. But there's part of our, our nature that when we have an encounter with God, what do we do? We want to build something. Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus says to Peter, James, and John, come with me. Have this incredible revelation on top of the mountain, you know. And then it's like, it's like the perfect worship spot. The vision's good. They're with Jesus, the Son of God. They have this revelation. And they're like, whoa! God is so amazing. It's good, you know. Yeah, yeah, Jesus is, yeah, isn't it good? And what does Peter do? Can we build three sheds? There's always one, isn't there? What, what do you mean? Well, if we had a shed... We could take this experience and we could come up the hill and have this experience. You see in Jesus' response that that's not what he's trying to build. But I wanted to understand that something about our nature, that we try and preserve a moment that we had in our past and we build something. We set something out as a memorial. But I want to observe that actually God is bigger than a place. In fact, in Jewish theology... God is the place. When you form community, and if you study community, three things line up. A place, a people, and a purpose. And it's in those three things as they line up that we look at the concept of church. We've got to get right in the right balance. Because if we don't, we over-focus on the physical building. I want to move purpose, if I can, just to help it for church to call presence. So the community of church is found in the place of a people and the presence of God. When those three things line up, things start to happen as God has connected us. There's something more than a building this morning. 2 Chronicles 2 verse 6. Who is able to build a temple for him? Since the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain him. Why do you try and box God? We, we have this ability to go, that's where God is. 
The theology, by the way, of where can I go from your spirit says God is everywhere. I'm from, I'm, we, we are a Pentecostal church. I'm not from a Pentecostal church. We are one. We're still there, isn't it? I was brought up by which this was the holy place of the Pentecostal church. You know, you went three rows back. You suddenly stopped feeling the presence of God. You had to get into the presence of God. You had to walk forward, and then you had the holy priest who stood at the front, and it wasn't until his or her hands were touched on you. That's when you got the presence of God. That is not the presence of God. Because God's sitting on the third row too. Have you realized that? He's sat at the back. He is everywhere. When we talk about the presence of God, we're talking about the tangible experience that we're having with the presence of God. Who has had a tangible experience of the presence of God while walking by a river? Anybody? I have. Who's, who's had that on their own? Who's ever experienced God on their own? Just, I'm hoping. I'm just going to pause at this to just go beyond awkward because I hope we... Why? Because God loves to connect with his people with you. There's something extra. I was just thinking about this, really, because you can go to the best city in the world. I could pay for you to go to the best restaurant in Exeter on your own to experience the finest cuisine, and you'd be sitting there, and you'd be thinking of the person that you want to share that moment with. Why? Because it's not the place. The place is good. The food is good, but the company that we connect with God suddenly makes it electric. And the concept of when we're talking about God is when you got, add God into people, when you put people in a place, you have dynamite, you have church, you have the presence of God suddenly starting to work because that's the way God has designed it. See, Bethel, the house of God, is a place-based presence, which means I can't get my fix until I come back to this place. Right? That is not true. You walk out this door, God is out the door. In your workplace, God is in your workplace. You take God into wherever you go. You and God are an incredible combination, and we carry the presence of God. There is a movement, by the way, in the Old Testament of the presence of God, and it starts in a garden, the Garden of Eden. What a cool place. Adam even walked with God in the morning. It sounds cool and we love it, but you know what? You can do that tomorrow morning. You might, you say, I live in a flat. Like, do you know I have a theology that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness is in? It doesn't matter who's on the deeds, I like to walk through that land. I'm one of these people who is happy to walk through a farmer's field that I don't own. I'm probably really irritating to the landowner, but saying this is the earth is the Lord's. I don't steal from it. I just walk through it. I enjoy the view. I don't go and sit in your lounge, by the way. There is limits I've kind of noticed, largely because of trespassing and and laws. But you you understand what what I'm saying is to to stand in the same place and to experience God in the land that is given. We can walk in the garden. Tabernacle just means to dwell with. God loved his people, and so he designed us to live in relationship in the context of a garden. And it was only sin that broke that relationship. See, relationships are often choice that we have. That we can remain clone, close, we can remain intimate, 
or we can choose to allow things to get in the way that block those relationships. The Bible says sin separates our relationship with God. When you lie, when you have this habit for wandering away from God because of your flesh, because you want to do, you understand there's, there's almost a distance that appears. Not, God is able to move really close to you, but there's almost a block. It's largely we're talking about a fence breakdown. That if I've said something to Rachel that's hurt her, it's difficult for me to communicate until I've put it right. Right? There's no physical block between us, but there is an emotional one. Who knows when they've done wrong? Just know. Have you ever had the look? <laughs> the look is part of that. Sometimes when we do wrong in life, we separate just because of the shame that we feel we carry. Garden of Eden, and that journey ends there. And then it goes to the top of the mountain where Moses is found on Mount Sinai. We dream of experiences like that. Oh, God just downloaded what he wanted to say to Moses. But, you know, it was just Moses, wasn't it? Because where were the people? They were at the bottom of the mountain. Have you noticed there's buffer zones around the mountain? The, you know, the people were over there and Moses. And, and you ever, if we carry an Old Testament theology into our modern-day thinking, we actually take the view that Aaron gets a quicker download to God than I do. That is not true. That, that is definitely not true. God is closer to Aaron because he's the pastor of choice. That is a lie. And we create buffer zones going, that's where all the revelation goes. Aaron just gets it. God wants to speak to you in a way that you can understand and connect with in a way that is far more powerful than I can say to you this morning. And we see God at the top of the mountain, and then we see the tabernacle, which is a portable presence of God. Quite like this. Because they were about to go on a journey as a people, right? They were all gathered around the mountain in the wilderness, wondering what to go. God directs them, and then the children of Israel start to move. And as they move, by the way, go back to God being the place. There's a Jewish word called hamakom, where God is the place. God says, I'm going to go with you on this journey. In fact, Moses said, we're not going anywhere unless you go with us. And so the, the tabernacle was to be part of that. It was God in a tent. Interestingly about this, by the way, because the buffer zone gets increased and you suddenly get these boundaries around the holy place that only one person is allowed to go with this, even in this tent. Although God is central to the community, none of us can go in unless you see me as the high priest. When I can go in, but if I go in, I've got to put bells around my things like that. And this is slightly humorous because if the bells stop jangling and I've stopped walking, it means I've died in the presence of God because I've done something wrong. I wouldn't, there wouldn't be too many leaders if that happened uh, would they? You know, if with a job advert, you know, nobody apply for Sarah's job, would they? You know, if that was part of the things that I actually, you, you preach, you might not get down off the platform because if God doesn't like what you're preaching on, you're finished. Old Testament thinking, have you noticed like that? For me, in my own personal humor, if I didn't be struck down first, I'd just like to stop just to scare people, just to say, is he still alive? You know, can you hear the jingle? But that, that's why I wouldn't be a high priest. <laughs> I get that. That's why I'm thankful for New Testament theology and grace. You're all of that. So then the tabernacle of the temple becomes a temple. And interestingly enough, it becomes a more permanent structure in the middle where everybody can go to. You have great moments in the Old Testament where the presence of the Lord hit that place. People knew it. People respected it. The presence of God would meet. People had a reverence for it. I think in the whole change of the New Testament, 
in how we can connect with God, I, I think sometimes there are times when we're a bit too matey with God. Because sometimes matey can be offensive for our own errors, can't it? So it's not that I want to be an Old Testament church where we're so afraid we can't move close to the presence of God. But nor do I want us just to trip and just go, oh, whatever, it doesn't matter. Because it does. By the way, because in the Old Testament, there is a clear separation line between the holiness of God and the sin of man. And you see the structures of everyone from Eden to the mountain to the tabernacle where the common people couldn't connect with the presence of God because of the sin. Until Jesus comes along. This is the, this is the, the change. This is the paradigm shift Jesus is central to everything of this house, okay? He is the chief cornerstone. Let me tell you why. Because he fulfilled, he superseded the temple in every way. Where the Old Testament sanctuary structures meant that God come down and dwell among his people behind walls. God became human in order to dwell among us directly. John's Gospel tells that the incarnation of God tabernacled amongst us. The very presence of God walked among us in fleshly form. The Son of God, Jesus, died. He rose. He ascended into heaven to secure our salvation. He continues to be present with us throughout the day. And through the Holy Spirit, as it, it, it kind of imbibes within us, Jesus broke everything. When he died, he, he tore the curtain of the Holy of Holies from the top to bottom. It's about the thickness of my fist. You know, not many of us in this room can rip open a, a yellow pages. You know, and even if it could, it wouldn't be from the top to the bottom. You know, and it is the truth. The Jewish people, they went and stitched that curtain back together. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. we don't know what's happened there. Let's quick stitch it back up. You know, let's keep God there and us there and kept the separation. But Jesus said, I am breaking the separation and the nutrition. We can boldly enter the presence of God because what Jesus has done. So this is the revelation of what it is to be a follower of Christ Jesus. You don't come in here on your own um, sanct you know, righteousness or your own abilities to turn over a new leaf or good or smile well and, and look smart and go, oh, look, I have so got it together. We come to Jesus warts and all. It's an Oliver Cromwell statement, by the way, if you want to study him where that comes from. Apparently he was a warty leader and a Puritan. There's nothing you can do that can bring yourself close to God. There's also nothing you can do that can take yourself further from God. Because Jesus has done everything. He died for your sin. He reversed the Eden fall. He created the ability to get back into the garden. Let me read this. For he himself is our peace, who has made the true groups of one has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside his flesh with the law, with its commands and regulation, his purpose, Jesus' purpose was to create in himself one new humanity, a community out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he was put to death through their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father of one spirit. That's Paul talking to the Jews and the Gentiles that through Christ we can enter the presence of God. The barrier 
has been ripped. There's a new household now of people of God. There's a new community formed as we go into the New Testament, irrespective of race or gender or social status or age. It supersedes the old covenant as the house of God. God now lives in his spirit and in within us. You are temple of the Holy Spirit. There's two uh, translations within the Bible. One is you and one is you. Yes, you understand? That's why you can walk by the river and feel the presence of God where you are because God can imbibe and live in you. That's why when we meet together, God imbibes in us. Our handshakes on the door, our smiles when we hug, our cups of tea in your hand, when we visit each other in hospital, when we make coffees, when you pray for us, wherever we are, you understand this is God living in his people. This is church. David. I think got this, even though he's Old Testament, he, he, he understands, I think, this presence, place, and people. He says this, passion for your house consumes me. I rejoice with those said to me in Psalm 122, let us go to the house of the Lord. He talks in that psalm, by the way, about Jerusalem, about a city. He talks wider than just the temple. The Jews still have this desire, by the way, because they're not able to worship in the place, in the mount, on the rock. And there's a big wall in the place that they stick papers in, and they feel there's that wall still there. And, and you know, there, there's research when somebody goes through an amputation that their brain still picks up pain in the foot that no longer exists. The Jews, as a nation, pick up the pain, not because of a foot has been taken up, because they feel their heart has ripped out, because their ability to worship on that place is yet to be restored. That's what they're holding to. They have this longing. That's why they pray every day. You know, their prayers are all based like that. David has this, I love the place of God. I love where people meet. I love the place of worship. Psalm 55, verse 13 says, my companion and close friend, what good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together to the house of God. There was something about them walking together. God, I can't wait to meet God's people as we gather together, wherever that is. And God is there. That is such a great place. It's a passion that burnt within David that burns so strongly that when you've got your hands in front of the parking meter as you're looking, do I put two hours in or do I put three hours in? You're not asking, because if you believe in the building, you put two hours in. If you believe in the people, you're like, oh, I, I just love spending time. You know what? We meet when we have the, the, that coffee together. Don't you love the fact that we have a, a recipe that so moves around on a, on a Sunday morning that we sometimes have cream cheese and smoked salmon on bagels? What a great church. It's not in the Bible, by the way. It's our attempt to reach the middle classes. So uh, it's, just, it's not. I'm joking. Don't do that. Whoever does that, I love it. I love it because you understand that we're meeting together as the people of God. Because I believe God's in there just as much as in here. I love it when we meet in a coffee shop and we can pray together and we can open the Bible together. I love that. I think that's church. 
be passionate people. They start earlier than everyone else. If you're a manager, you'll know your passionate staff members because they're in first. Passionate people live in the moment more than anyone else. They get more excited than anyone else. They get more frustrated than anyone else. They risk more than anyone else. They give more than anyone else. They talk more than anyone else. They move more than anyone else. They're more positive than anyone else. They share their passion more than anyone else. And when we talk about that passion for the house of God, just, just dream what it looks like for you to be a passionate member of the household of God, of the community, isn't it? You're going into work tomorrow, and you've got this really odd-looking grin on your face. People look at you, why are you so happy? I just had a great weekend. I didn't go to church, which is a location. There's a people of God who love God. Things happen in that place. You can tell them about the cream cheese and the smoked salmon. Because God is in the smoked salmon. It's all connected. You know what grace does, by the way? When you say grace before a meal, it's not a religious thing you do. It's an acknowledgement that God has put what you're about to eat in your hand. It means God has provided you. The moment you understand this, right? We're taught mindfulness now for those who are struggling with anxiety of how to maximize that moment in the day, right? What I'm about to teach you is God's version of it, which has always been there. And God just looks at the things that we create and goes, well, duh. <laughs> he does. Wow, God, thank you. For this meal. Some of us want to be favored by God. The key to favor, the key to blessing is thankfulness. Realize what you have in your life rather than what you haven't got. I wish I had some mayonnaise. <laughs> you understand? Create this moment in God. So things happen in the house of God. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. Read this with me as we come to a close. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills. People from all over the world will stream here to its worship. People from many nations will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. It's not talking about a literal place. It's not talking about a literal city. It's talking about the people of God. The church of the living God. We do not have to go to a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, or that would be incredible and educational and inspirational and help us in our journey of faith. But our salvation is not required on where we go. Our salvation is required on who we believe in and who we spend time in. Have you noticed, when we're passionate about things, you can determine your passion by where you go, how much you spend your time in a certain area, the people you spend it with, the possessions that you hold, you can determine your passion. It tells the story of your life. You might not like that story, but it does. So if you're passionate for God, it's easy to give to God. If you think somehow God is robbing you, you will never give to God. If you somehow think you can't afford to get through life, God is the source of our blessing in all things. He gives the ability to manage our money, and he blesses with money to bless others. 
You, you put those two together, you're going to live in abundant financial prosperity with what God has asked you to do. So when we get together as the house of God, the Old Testament does have these models. People worship. The people of God jointly say with one voice, one song, one confession, God, you are over it all. If we do that, people, things are going to happen in this place. This place being a people, being a household, being a literal place. Because unity, when people come in to do things under God, things happen. When we come in together to pray, and it doesn't matter if we're praying on the hill of Exeter, or if we hire a hall, or if we do it in small groups. When we come together to pray the people of God, something happens when people connect together. When the people connect together and the word of God is preached. In Ezra and Nehemiah, it reforms the nation. When the people say, we are gathering together to hear the words of God, it helps us be our strength. It takes us beyond the two hours. And it puts us into a place in God. Psalm 92, verse 13 says, Planted in the house of God, you will flourish. There is a divine connection between your prosperity, your success, your health, your life, your relationships, everything about you, to God and the people of God. I think Jesus is revealed more in his people than just when I sit on my own with God. God is revealed there. I can sense God. I, I, I experience him. He surrounds us in that. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Because I'd love us just to listen to God and what he's saying in our last song. But imagine, right, if we got into church earlier than everybody else, the people of God. Imagine if we lived the moment of not just a church service, every moment with God more than anyone else because we're passionate for him. Imagine if we got more excited than anybody else. This, is, this next song is a chance to practice, by the way. Some of you might like worshiping with your two fingers. Or just the, you know, the little flap. All right. Hold the TV. Widescreen TV. You understand where we're going? Passionate people just go, I, I just love being in the presence of God. Imagine if we got more frustrated about justice than anyone else. Rather than being embarrassed about causing a fuss, we actually said, that's not right in our city. I'm going to stand up and do something about that. That's what passionate people do. Imagine we risk more. Rather than holding myself to my own reserved nature, I'm actually going to sit with that guy because he needs someone to sit in the rain and just say, how are you doing today? I think that's what passionate people of the house of God do. Imagine if we give more. Imagine if we talked more about God. Imagine if we moved more when God spoke to us. Imagine if we're more positive. Imagine if we shared our passion. Just imagine what this church would be like. I, I think it would be better. And we're good. This is a good church. I think it's Jim Collins who wrote a book, Good to Great. Is that right? Was it Jim Collins? I think God designed his church to be great. Whenever me and God get together, we're great. Honestly, I'm, the, I'm a, such an excellent husband when I am in the presence of God. Because you know what? I'm washing the dishes. 
And I'm not saying I'm this out to shed just to pray with Jesus, you know, like that. Because that's what presence does for you. Can we stand? I want to just pray over you. Just put your hands out before God. Receive what I pray. If you're suspicious, just listen. God instilling me a passion for the house of God. Fill me with a love for you and a love for your people. That is not bound by bricks and mortar. It is not between the hours of 10 and 12 on a Sunday morning. But that I will live in your presence all the days of my life. One day in your presence is better than a thousand elsewhere. May your presence go with me, with us today. That we will be presence carriers. That we would understand that you have brought us into a close community with God. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.